We started a series last week called The Good Book, and so what we're doing is we're looking at 40 significant events throughout biblical history a week at a time. Um, it's actually based off of a book um, by Darren uh, Spoo. We've got some copies of that out there in the lobby for you just to kind of make it convenient. We'd encourage you, grab a copy, read through it with us. They're $20 out there. Um, but we're looking, again, just at different events, right? Significant events in our faith. Now, I will say this. For those of you who have been a part of the faith for a while, right, grew up in the church, you're like, man, so does this mean I can just kind of just show up when I want over the next 40 weeks that I've heard all this, I grew up with it? Absolutely not. I encourage you more than anyone else to pray for fresh ears, right? Fresh eyes for God's word and the scripture, for a renewed love for the things of God. What a great opportunity to reaffirm your faith. And I guarantee you over the next 40 weeks, you'll be challenged. You'll hear things that you hadn't heard before. And if you're new to the faith, man, I encourage you to commit to the next 40 weeks to try not to miss any Sundays. Again, as you have the opportunity maybe to hear some of these things for the first time. What a great opportunity. If you're like me and you didn't grow up in church, this is a great opportunity to hear these stories for the first time um, and engage in the things of God. And so um, it's going to be it's going to be great. And so last week, Rick started with uh, Genesis 1. And uh, Genesis, it's the very first uh, book of the Bible, right? Very first chapter. And he talked about creation. And God goes through and he begins to create everything. It deals a lot with purpose, identity, the who of the Bible. And when we got to the end of Genesis 1, it ended with with this type of um, picture painted for us that, that all was great with creation, right? That it was perfect, that the master artist, right, had, had engaged in a work and everything was good. And in fact, in verse 30, uh, 31, God says it is good. It was very good. Nothing to be added, nothing to be taken away. But as we progress to Genesis 3, which we're going to be in this morning, creation took a turn. We see the entrance of evil and the beginning rise of sin through pride and through deceit. Today's message is titled this, The Fall. And what I want to talk about is when everything broke. I want to talk about when sin entered the world. I also want to thank Pastor Rick for leaving um, um, me with this message this week, right? The most feel-good message that we could have is you guys are like, I'm really... Uh, I'm really sad I came to church today. I should have stayed home and watched all the pregame stuff, right? Um, we're going to talk about the fall. We're going to have fun with it. We're going to talk about how sin entered the world. And so sin, for obvious reasons, is a word and an idea that we naturally want to reject. We naturally want to pull away from. The energy in the room five minutes ago before I mentioned that word is much different than it is now. As everybody has felt something inside them withdraw. And the reason being is we reject this idea. We convince ourselves that we're good. We're good people. We do good things. We reject the notion that we're naturally sinful, that we're broken, that the world's broken. I mean, because you're good husbands, right? You're good wives, good mothers, good fathers. That's what we tell ourselves. And the more we label ourselves that, the more we convince ourselves of our high moral standards and morality, the easier it is to look at ourselves in the mirror because we have a misconception about what to do with the sin. And so sin, sin is a transgression against God. In the New Testament, sin is translated from the Greek word harmatia, which means to miss the mark. This word was introduced in BC, right? New Testament was written in AD, but in BC, it was introduced by Aristotle. Aristotle introduced it into poetic works, and the term um, described the error of judgment, which ultimately brings about the tragic hero's downfall. What a fitting word for sin. 
as it ultimately led to the downfall of man, the brokenness of creation. And anytime we see hamartia in our lives, that sin, that brokenness, we see our tragic downfall as well. When dealing with my wife, Janelle, anytime it rears its ugly face, my marriage begins to break apart. I begin to struggle. When it enters my relationship with my children, the way I parent, it begins to lead to my downfall, my destruction. Anytime it's present in the workplace with those that I love and co-labor with, it begins to wreck our relationships. Time and time again, when we see this present itself, and it's inevitable that it does, we begin to see our downfall, our destruction. And so today, we want to look at that. God's word reminds us in Romans 3, though, and I love this, Romans 3, 23, for everyone, say everyone, everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. I love that passage. And I love that passage because this is what it reminds me. I'm not always a good dad, but neither are you. I'm not always a good husband, but neither are you. You're like, that's a really crappy thing to say. Well, you know what? Makes me feel better. No. (laughs) It reminds me that my brokenness is nothing that I need to run from because we're all broken. It reminds me that the harmatia in my life, the things that lead to me struggling as a husband and a father as a co-worker, are things that we all face and we all struggle with. For everyone has sinned. We each fall short of God's glory standard. And when we begin to change the way we look at it and to realize that it's not a unique brokenness in us, it's a brokenness in all of us, we can be a little more honest about it. We can come together. We can be unified behind the idea that each of us need Jesus. Each of us needs salvation. Each of us need redemption. Each of us need sanctification. For all have sinned, all fall short of God's glorious standard. The sin nature, the fatal error inside each of us came to us through original sin, the original sin of Adam. And so when we look at Romans chapter five, verse 12, it says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone. Say everyone. For everyone sinned. And so when dealing with this, when dealing with the fall, the history of the downfall, the moment that everything broke, it's important to remember that it's a brokenness that's shared throughout humanity. And it's not an excuse to continue to be broken, but it's a reason to be unified behind the pursuit of Jesus and the redemption of the cross. Today, today we'll look at this truth from its beginning, which is found in Genesis 3. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them up. It's the first book of the Bible, right? Um, Genesis is where it starts. It's where our story starts. Um, If you don't have your Bible and you have the YouVersion Bible app, you can go there. You can go to the events tab. You can follow through with this there. But Genesis 3, starting in chapter 1, it says this, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say, did God really say, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? At first glance, especially if you haven't read Genesis 2, you don't realize that that's a manipulation 
It's a deceit. It's a lie from the enemy because in Genesis 2, 16 through 17, God said this, you may freely eat of every tree in the garden except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. And so Satan comes on scene and engages Eve in a deceptive way, presents her with a question that begins to manipulate the truth. She responds, of course we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden which we are not allowed to eat. And God said you must not eat it or even touch it. Note the confusion in Eve. God said not to eat it. He never mentioned not touching it. And so Satan presents a lie. He twists the truth. Eve counters with confusion. She tries to present God's word back and misses it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. And we need to realize this. Point number one is this. Satan was a liar then, and he is a liar now. Satan was a liar then, and he's a liar now. John 8, 44, he says this. He is the father of of lies. Satan's craftiness came in the form of a question presented in such a way to deceive us and to detract from God's truth and God's command. He sowed the seeds of doubt and then a perversion of truth for deceit. Did God really say? With that, he managed to raise doubt about God's goodness. Eve began to question was God keeping something from me? I mean, if God loved me, surely he would want me to experience all of his goodness. Managed to raise doubt about God's goodness and the clarity of his commands. He does the same thing with us today. Did God really say that he loves you? This is one I struggled with personally for a long time. Did God really say that he loved me? Can God's word really be trusted. As a pastor, I encounter this often. I mean, it's old and dated, antiquated, right? Written thousands of years ago, it, it could have no bearing on today. Can God's word really be trusted? I mean, society has changed. Roles have changed. Relationships have changed. Can God's word really be trusted? He even gets personal. You know, it's interesting. We, we have a personal God, a God that personally loves you. And there's an evil in this world that personally wants to destroy you. And because we have a personal evil, sometimes he deals with those broken, those special broken places in our lives. I know for me, for so long, I ran from God. And I know many of you have heard bits of my story, but it was... I was so wrapped up in me and I was so wrapped up in my brokenness that those were questions I asked. Can I trust God's word? Does any of this make sense? I was, I was proud, considered myself to be a thinker. And I would look at these things and Satan and all of his craftiness would feed me one question at a time. So seeds of doubt, little by little, I rejected the notion that God's love was enough for me, rejected the notion that God's call was enough for me. 
I could see how he could love some of you, but surely he didn't realize where I come from, the horrible things I'd done, the way that I struggled. And so Satan would whisper, does God really love you? How could God love you? Why would God love you? Why would the church ever accept you? How could you ever do this or do that? How could you ever be a husband after the way you've treated women? How could you ever be a father after the abuse that you suffered as a child? Lies so ridiculous, lies so personal. And we take each one of them until we realize Satan was a liar then and Satan is a liar now. 1 Peter 5.8 says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The King James said someone he may devour. Anytime we buy into these lies, anytime we allow those thoughts to land, we're giving him permission to consume us, to consume our lives. Must be on guard. Look out for lies from the enemy. Continues in verse six. It says, the woman was convinced. The woman was convinced. She said, she gave him room for conversation. She didn't shut it down. She didn't reject it. She played with the ideas, arrived at a conclusion based on deceit. She was convinced. She saw the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. You know, the funny thing about sin, you know, even though we pull back from the word often in our lives, right? It's like, I don't like that. Makes me feel, makes me feel icky, right? The truth of the matter is sin to our eyes, to our flesh, often looks beautiful, often looks good. And it's anything but. She saw the tree was beautiful and its fruit looks delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. And then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. And in that moment, sin entered our world. That's the fall, the brokenness. It should be noted, um, it's a little side note. I won't get off on it too much, but it's a picture of what takes place today far too often. You know, the woman needed a lot of convincing in that moment. And there was a lot of back and forth. It kind of reminded me of conversations when I asked my wife what she wants to eat. And there's like a lot of this back and forth. But the man, he didn't need anything. He was such a pushover. Adam instantly is like, yeah, let's, let's break the rules. And, and so often we see that today, the fact that, that women far too often are the spiritual leaders. And men were far too often the pushovers. Be challenged by that and to take a stand. Lead your family. I won't get off anymore on that, but um, let's look at verse seven. It says this in verse seven. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Note their attempt to cover their failure. They bought into the lies and deceit. They rejected the goodness of God. They stepped up in pride. They did what they wanted to and immediately stepped back in regret. The shame, the guilt. What once looked beautiful was now tarnished. 
sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Verse eight, it says, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? We need to understand point number two is this, sin causes us to hide from God. It should be noted that sin does not cause God to hide from us. He was in the garden looking for hiding humans. And when we mess up, we convince ourselves another lie from the enemy, God's through with you. How could he ever love you after what you've done? How could you ever go back after what happened? In the recovery ministry, I I always know when somebody failed because I don't see him anymore. They always step away. But the truth is it happens here too. And it's in that moment we need God more than ever. And it's in that moment God is looking for us more than ever. Sin causes us to hide from God. I wanna share a story with you. Um, some of you will have heard this before. Um, some of you haven't. It's a... Uh, It's incredibly embarrassing for me as a man, but um, early on um, in my marriage to my wife, Janelle, you know, we're not each other's um, first marriages. We're a blended family. And so coming together, I had two kids. She had um, four. um, You can do the math there. There's there's eight of us all together. And so, um, so... we, we decide that, that we're going to get married and, and things are going to be, things are going to be good. And, and one of the things that attracted me to my wife in the beginning was that she didn't need me. Um, I've, I've, I love that. She had her own home. She had a job. She was stable. There was nothing I could add to that part of her life. And, and quite honestly, that was one of the things that attracted her to me. I had my own home. I had my own business, right? I was stable. There was nothing that, that we presented to each other that, that met a need. Now we make each other's lives better and it's a beautiful thing. Um, so we decided, we're, we're going to get married um, and we're going to have um, a happily ever after kind of life. And, and to tell you the truth, that first year of marriage was not anything from Disney, right? Um, it was like, it was a late night Jerry Springer HBO special kind of thing, right? Um, and all the married people said amen, right? I mean, it's rough. It's rough. Now, it's, it's especially rough when, again, you're showing up with all of these kids. Um, when you get married and all of a sudden you have six children, it's insanity, right? It's insanity. And, and not to mention, like, I had a whole U-Haul worth of baggage. She had a whole U-Haul worth of baggage. Man, we were some broken people. It was messed up. And then to top it off, I decided I was going to change careers. I had a, good, um, had a good job. I owned my own business. Um, I did signs and graphics. I made really, really good money. And so I thought that the best thing to do was to go ahead and take a job here at the church and answer God's call. And, and with that came a $60,000 a year pay cut. Um, yeah, somebody like threw up on themselves back there. I heard it. Um, you're like, I thought preachers just made a lot of money. No, no, I'm definitely not in for the money, right? And so we did that. So here we are, we're eight people. And because of some things, she kept her household at the time. We lived together, um, but we were gonna do some stuff with it. We had to um, fix it up. We're getting it you know, ready for the market, all of that. And, and so she sees my finances when we get married, which are one thing. And um, as we kind of go, um, I discovered that I'm an all or nothing kind of guy. And so I started to neglect my business because I was focused on the things of ministry. Now, my business paid the bills. The church did not. 
that became a really bad thing. As uh, we start to, as I start to realize, I didn't share any of this with her, but we started to struggle. Um, and it, it came to this point where I'm facing um, like six different lawsuits. And my wife doesn't know anything about them. Um, I hid them all from her. Um, and I was lying to her, right? She thought all was good. She had her account. She's paying the bills at the other house, right? And I've got all of mine and, and I'm not, I'm drowning. I'm drowning and, and I'm withdrawing from her and I'm hiding from her. And part of the reason that that first year of marriage was so bad was not the kids, was not the blending. It was the fact that I was dishonest. I hid from my wife. I didn't trust her. I didn't trust her with my brokenness. I didn't trust her with all the guilt and the shame. And, and finally, everything came to crescendo where I got a letter that they were moving into foreclosure on our home. And so I was faced with the reality that she's eventually gonna know something's up when there's a notice on the door from the sheriff saying that we don't live there anymore, right? You guys are like uneasy laughing. Uh, we've, we've moved past it. We're good now, right? Um, <laughs> Forgiveness, mercy, all of those things, right? Um, and so, like a man, I waited until like one o'clock in the morning, and I kind of nudged my wife. I said, are you awake? And uh, she goes, yeah, what's up? I said, hey, we're getting sued. We're going to lose the house. I love you. Good night. <laughs> I wish that was a joke. That's how much of a coward I was. And so, lights on, covers off, everything's exposed. Choice words, can't repeat them from the platform. And there we were. My, my sin in my marriage caused me to hide from my wife. I didn't trust her. I withdrew from her. Now, the truth of the matter is my wife loved me. My wife wanted me, regardless of whether or not I had money. She didn't marry me because I was successful. And when it finally came out and I was forced to face it, my wife stood by my side. We figured it out. We figured it out. But the guilt and the shame, the sin, caused me to withdraw from her. It damaged our relationship. It hurt our marriage. It made things more difficult. And we do the same thing with God. We hide from him. If I were to ask each of us to raise our hand, who in here is has ever run from God in shame and guilt, every hand would be up. That's what we do. And it's a lie. Just like I bought into a lie that the moment my wife finds out about this, my marriage is through, we tell ourselves the same thing about God. The moment God finds out how broken I am, how sinful I am, he's through with me. Guess what? He already knows. Nothing's hidden from him. And he's in the garden and he's looking for hiding humans. He wants a relationship with you. He's pursuing you. He desires you. We run away. We make failed attempts to, to hide from him. I hid from him in, in drugs and alcohol. Some of you hide from him by pretending everything's okay. And you put on your Sunday face, your best dress, and you walk around proud like you're perfect. And you're just as guilty as the drug addict from hiding from him. Sin causes us to hide from God. It doesn't cause God to hide from us. Genesis 3.10 said, he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. I was afraid because I got high. 
I was afraid because I was lustful. I was afraid because I was proud. I was afraid because I'm sinful and broken. So God, I hid from you. Heard you. Heard you walking in the garden. So I hid. Sin causes us to hide from God. In verse 11, it says, who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me. Right? How many of us have done that? God, I messed up. It's not my fault. God, I failed, but it was them, and it was them, anything but me. It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And to the man he said, since you listened to your wife, and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat. The ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you. Though you will eat from its grains, by the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from the dust, and to the dust you will return. I read all that, and I know it's a lot to point out the fact that oftentimes we blame God even for all of this. God, why would you? Why would a good God put us in such a broken world why would a good God have death and disease? He didn't. We did that. We broke it. We continue to break it. And we continue to blame God and blame other people just like Adam and Eve did in the garden. And we have to realize, we have to recognize it was our failure. It wasn't his. And in those moments, we have to recognize an even greater truth that God offers us a way out through Jesus. He says, listen, I know that you ate it. I know <laughs> that you hid from me. I love you anyways. I want you anyways. Verse 20, it says, then the man, Adam, named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all who lived and the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. And we can trust that God covers our shame and our guilt. It's interesting. Initially in their failure, what did Adam and Eve do? They grabbed fig leaves and they attempted to cover themselves. When presented before God, honest about their transgressions, what did God do? He adequately covered their shame and their guilt. We make attempts day in and day out. Absence of the truth, absence of God, they're always inadequate. And God covers our shame and our guilt. It's time. It's time that we let the fig leaves fall. Right, that we present ourselves naked and exposed before God. He knows. He knows where you failed. 
He knows where I failed. He sees where we miss it. None of it's a surprise. But he can't deal with it. He can't adequately cover it until we drop our failed attempts to take care of it ourselves. It requires that, that humility, a humble heart, saying, God, see me in all of my brokenness. See me in all of my failure. Lord, help me. Help me. Allow your brokenness to be exposed before God. It's time, it's time that we allow God to do what we can't. We stop running from him, stop hiding from him, stop attempting to cover what only God can. Earlier, I shared out of Romans 5.12, and it says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone sinned. It continues in verse 15, though, and it says this, but there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater. Say even greater. And I love that because we look at sin and we think, man, my, my failure as a husband, right? God will never love me. My failure as a father, right? I, I, I trapped in addiction, the way that we talk and everything else. And we think that that's the big deal, right? That that's the, the greatest thing, that there's no greater thing in our lives, but our transgressions and our failures. And if they're discovered and exposed, we're done. But God's word says what? But even greater, but even greater than your shortcomings, even greater than your failures, but even greater is God's gracious gift of salvation and redemption through Jesus, right? He says, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. That's what we have to come to know. That's what we have to come to understand that nothing in our lives will separate us from the love of God, but we have to let the fig leaves fall and we have to say, God, here it is. Deal with it. I'm done running. I'm done hiding. I want you to redeem me, to fix me, to restore me. God, because I know even greater is your love brought to me through Jesus Christ. And the results of God's gracious gift is very different from the results of this one man's sin. For, God, for Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God and death through this one man, Jesus. And even though we are guilty of many sins, for the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater, there it is again, say even greater, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it. It will live in triumph, victory, right? Triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. I don't know, I don't know your stories personally, but I know this, the picture that we see in Genesis 3 is the one that plays out time and time and time again. Satan enters, scene left, Stage right, whatever you want, and he begins to lie to us. We buy into those lies. We follow the path of deceit. We make transgressions against God. We reject him in our pride. We run from him. And God pursues us. So today, this morning, are you ready? 
let the fig leaves fall. Let God know, I'm done pretending, I'm done hiding. You know what, I am a sinner and I need Jesus. You know what, I am a failure. I need your love and your mercy and your grace, God. It's time to let the fig leaves fall. I want us to do this. I want you to, to bow your head. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to begin to spend a moment with God in self-reflection. I love Psalms 139. It's, it's something I pray in my life daily. And it's, man, Lord, point out in me anything that offends you. Lord, it's saying, God, search my heart. Reveal to me my failures. So I want you to spend a moment in God with God and ask yourself, what is my response to my sin pen? Have I been honest with you, Lord? Have I come to you humbly? Or have I hid from you? Begin to ask him, have I disregarded your commands? Am I running or hiding? Begin to ask God to reveal where you're at this morning.